Welcome to the With Counseling Podcast. I'm JJ Blanford, therapist and founder of With Counseling. Today's episode is Why Can't Therapists See People That They Know as Clients? Yeah, and I think this all kind of spawned out of a, a conversation that we were recently having because you've always kind of held this line about, you know, not seeing people that you know. And I I guess I started sort of explaining that from a from a person outside of a therapeutic practice mindset, right? Like you find somebody that you know, you you tend to like them, even if it's just sort of a peripheral sort of friend, you tend to like them. Why wouldn't you want to see somebody like that? I mean, it just sort of makes sense that you would want to see somebody that you already know as a therapist and you have some very good reasons for that. So I'd love to just talk through, you know, the the why behind all that. First off, this conversation blew my mind because we've had similar conversations before. You had never brought to my attention that like, this is why people are asking you this question again and again. And I was like, oh, oh, that makes sense. But my education and experience have a completely different framework. And I'd never thought about why people would want to see me. So first and most important, it's unethical. Uh, It's part of my code of ethics as a social worker that I can't like be in relationship with someone and see them as a client. So like there's a whole ethics piece of it of like especially close people to me, but kind of the peripheral people, especially what it comes down to often is people who we attend church with. Uh, And I would say the same for like any of our kids, friends at school. That's just never been brought up. I would never see like a parent or um, like one of my kids' friends. But I think what people aren't thinking about in that, oh my gosh, I really like JJ. She's easy to talk to. She's a good listener. What they're not thinking about is six months into therapy where I know all of your history and all of your dirt, and then we're sitting next to each other in church, and maybe what you're thinking is, what is she thinking about me? While we're here this morning, does she see me different? Does she think differently of me? And it makes your safe place, in this instance, church, potentially feel less safe. The flip side of that, it makes me feel less safe too. I want to be free to be whoever I am when I show up to church or my kid's school. And I don't want to be worried about how is this client perceiving me in this place that feels really safe to me. And so part of it is just It doesn't feel comfortable. And while initially I now have a better understanding of how that could like of why you would think that was comfortable. I think about when we're six months, a year, two years into a therapeutic relationship where we've done really hard work. What happens if we like get placed in the same small group? There are so many different scenarios that I... (laughs) could walk through that one of us would no longer feel 
safety or comfort in a place that was really important to us. And so I just have a hard and fast rule outside of the ethics of social work of like, I don't see peripheral people. And so that can feel really harsh to people. And I really try to understand it's a protection for me and it's also a protection for you. And sometimes that goes well and and sometimes people don't understand and that's okay. You don't have to understand. It's just a choice that I've made as a clinician that that's how I'm going to run my practice. Yeah. And I think that was a real aha moment for me. I hadn't thought about six months or a year or two years down the, the, the line because, you know, once you've done that much work with somebody, I can only imagine that it, it feels like you wouldn't want to switch therapists after two years if the relationship is working or something, right? If they're still doing good work and all that stuff, but potentially not only could that church or school or whatever social activity no longer be a safe space, but the the therapeutic room could also not be a safe space depending on what happened in your lives from a social perspective. Mm -hmm. So keeping that social distance, uh, you know, from each other outside of the therapeutic room, not only makes social life more manageable, makes therapeutic life more manageable at the same time. Yes. And I think the reality is You know, something that I talk to my clients about is if I see you in public, I need you to know I'm never going to approach you. I'm never going to come and say hi. I may, if we randomly make eye contact, I will probably smile at you, but I will keep walking unless you call me over. You initiate that conversation plenty of times. I have been out. It's usually at Target or the grocery store. Everybody's at Target. (laughs) True. And most of the time, my clients are thrilled to introduce me to their partner, their children. You know, when we were on Zoom, I was meeting dogs and all sorts of things. And so most people do have that familiar, like, feel comfortable allowing me to be in a different part of their life outside of that therapeutic room when we run into each other at a restaurant or Target. And I've definitely had clients who were out, saw me, and went the other direction, come to their next session and say, I'm so sorry. I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to have to tell my partner, new friend, whoever, who you were, why I knew you. And it was just easier for me to walk away. And so... I think it is that like we I want to keep people safe in the therapeutic space, but also outside of that place. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I just think, you know, we have some experience in ministry where we were like doing the the church thing. Right. And so that even adds another layer to this whole thing of like it just gets really messy when you're just like intertwined in so many ways. And it makes it really hard to do any sort of like good work. Because yes. Of that. Yes. And I. I do think the us being in ministry, especially previously, made that much more tricky because I also, you know, when you preach, you're pretty open about our life and experiences and our family. And part of my safety is I don't want all of my clients to know everything about me. There are things just like my clients have things they are comfortable sharing and not sharing. I have things that I'm comfortable sharing and not sharing with clients. And so when I 
am married to someone who is speaking publicly about our life and experience, I don't want that coming back into the therapeutic space either. And so, again, it's a lot of protecting my clients, but it's also a self-protection of myself and, and our family. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, if I mean, if you do know somebody who is a therapist and you're like, you know, like, why can't you just see me sort of deal? What would you suggest that person, you know, kind of doing in that scenario? I mean, hopefully they can recommend you to someone else who they think is qualified and a competent therapist who you would be a good fit for. Um, I think with where we are now in the world, both here in Texas and in Illinois, I knew lots of great therapists and a lot of them weren't taking new clients. And so that can also, you know, that is also a reality that you may ask your friend and they're like, everyone I know <laughs> is booked. Um, but typically your friends could point you to someone else. They can also help you navigate like, what are you looking for in a therapist? When you read a website, for instance, a lot of people I know because I do trauma work are like, I'm looking for a trauma-informed therapist. Trauma-informed is like now a total buzzword. For sure. And everyone is trauma-informed according to their websites. So if that's really what you're looking for and you see therapists saying, hey, I'm trauma-informed, did Ask them, what is your training? What are your credentials? Especially if it's not listed on their website. Red flag. Red flag. And so, and and just sometimes you may need, as the therapist friend, you may need to give people permission of like, you can ask those questions. Like, you want to make sure that you're getting what you expect from therapy. And it's okay to say, what are your credentials, especially if they are not listed on someone's website? You can also, you know, they could help you process things like, what are you hoping to go to therapy for? I've had plenty of people have said, I don't need to know what's actually like the details of what's going on. Does it feel like anxiety related? Is it more depressive symptoms? Is it a relational strain? Is it grief and loss? Like, I don't need to know all your business to help you pick a therapist. If you can give me some themes of what we're dealing with, I can help point you in some directions. And so I think friends who are therapists are great for that. And I guess since we're talking about it, I, I also think it's just important to realize, like, it's what I tell our kids often when they're like, oh, I don't want to go to therapy. You're a therapist. I'm like, yeah, but I'm your mom. I'm not your therapist. So you need to go and talk to someone he was a therapist. And while I haven't had that experience with any friends of mine of having to say, like, I'm your friend, I'm not your therapist. I definitely know lots of clinicians who have had that experience. And so I think you just want to have that mindfulness towards your friends of they're your friend, they're not your therapist. And I promise that's how you want your relationship to be. Yeah. No, I, I think that's really good. I think even from a more base level, even like, like then trauma informed or figuring out credentials, like helping you uh, unweave all these like acronyms, like LCSWLPCP, 
NSW, you know, like they're just, it is so confusing. Who's actually like licensed to do therapy. There's a lot of people that just hang up a shingle, call themselves a therapist and aren't really therapists, right? Yes. So your friends, I think it's an important to help you even navigate like therapy and therapeutic work is such a weird, there's psychologist and there's, you know, just helping you navigate just the, what, what's even going on, who you're even looking for, uh, is a, is a really helpful thing, you know? So I, I think, yeah, that's awesome. So having friends who are therapists, great. They don't need to be your therapist, but they can help you navigate this therapeutic world. And I think that's awesome. We are delighted that you joined us for today's episode talking about why your friend who's a therapist can't see you. We hope that this gives you better understanding and a little grace and helps you understand how to utilize that friend who's a therapist to find a therapist who works for you. If you'd like to continue this conversation, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Counseling With, or you can send me an email through my website at counselingwith.com. We look forward to seeing you next week.